0: The following sermon is from Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology in order to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. Your copy of God's Word to Psalm 48. Psalm 48 is where we find ourselves in this concluding message in our series. This is who we are, and we're concluding with an attribute that I think should hit the heart of every one of us in here. It hits really home. So far in this series, we've been exploring our distinctives through like our four pillars, those things you see on the wall out there, these attributes of a Great Commission a church, a biblical New Testament church that we're committed to unapologetic preaching and uh, unashamed worship and unceasing prayer and unafraid witness. And we have these other commitments, a commitment to purposeful discipleship and, and a strategic church planting. And last week, a commitment to biblical leadership in the church. And this final commitment is one to uh, us all being authentic disciples. Authentic disciples, just simply a disciple is someone who follows the Lord, who trusts Christ as Savior and Lord. And, uh, and when we say authentic, we just mean like what it means in the scriptures. We kind of highlight that as you've seen signage and things around here is those that worship Christ, walk with Christ, and work for Christ. This is what the Scripture seems to summarize. Those who are genuinely following Christ in all things in life. And so these things, when we are committed to these pillars, to these commitments that we see in the, uh, the New Testament, we see a few things happening. One, God is glorified. And that's ultimately what we want, right? We say we're a vertical church. What we are doing, we want to be to the glory of God. But when we also walk in obedience to the Word of God, something else happens god shows up and he is glorified then we ourselves are transformed we ourselves are are growing in our faith we are growing in our commitment to these things and so uh, uh, this transformation is then what happens in the larger church family the as we as individuals are growing in the faith and our church family is is growing as well And so we as a church, we've just been going through these distinctives to remind us of this is who we are, that a church isn't ultimately about programs, you know, kids program, men's program, women's program, it's not ultimately about our preferences about a style of music or a style of ministry, more so than a church family, is about the people of God gathering together under the authority of the Word of God all for uh, the love of God and the love of one another. And it's easy to get swept up in those things, isn't it? It's easy to get swept up in programs. It's easy to get swept up in our preferences and lose sight of then our biblical priorities. I that the, the, those attributes that the scriptures put weight on. And so let me just ask a question. Then we're going to get to Psalm 48 here. But let me ask a question. Who in this room wants to be a part of a church, a, a growing, vibrant, healthy church? Who wants to be a part of a church like that? Absolutely. There's probably not one of us in here. You're like, well, you're all the opposite. You know, I'd like to be part of like a dead, dying, you know, irrelevant church. No, we all want to be a part of that. But see, here's the thing. If we want a part to be a part of a church like that, then we must individually, personally desire to be healthy, growing, vibrant disciples of Jesus Christ. Because a church is made up of the people. The church is made up of, of we who are following Christ more than just the programs that a church offers. And so we must be committed to these things as individuals. As Christians, like I said, it's easy to lose sight of the three W's, of our worshiping Christ, walking with Christ. It's easy to get off course of the trajectory of growth that we're all on, this trajectory of our sanctification, of being saved, and then uh, of, of, of going from being lost and then to saved, and then maturing and multiplying all to the glory of God. And, and you know, the, I know, I don't want to be so hard on all of us. It's easy to understand why we lose sight of our priorities, Right. These priorities to be growing in Christ, you know, sin is tempting, Satan is real and deceptive, our desires are strong, life is hard, trials are all around us, the battles uh, rage uh, around us, and here's the reality, this has always been the case for God's people. Always been the case, Israel lost sight often of the priorities, they lost sight of the blessing of God that came from their obedience to God and their love for God. And so I had you turn to Psalm 48 because Psalm 48 is one of those passages that uh, is meant to bring the Israelites of old, to bring their gaze back to the Lord. It's one of those passages as they're in the midst of the battle that, that the writer, the sons of Korah here, they say, hey, here, turn your gaze back to the Lord. And I hope this morning that it'll do the same for us. So hopefully you found Psalm 48. It's right in the middle of your Bible. Let me read these verses and then we'll take it from there. Ready for it? Psalm 48, a song, a psalm of the sons of Korah. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. His holy mountain, beautiful in elevation, is the joy of all the earth. Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great king. Within our citadels, God has made himself known as a fortress. For behold, the kings assembled, they came on together. As soon as they saw it, they were astounded. They were in panic, they took to the flight. Trembling took hold of them, their anguish as of a woman in labor. By the east wind, you shattered the ships of Tarshish. As you have heard, so we have seen in the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God, which God will establish forever. We have thought on your steadfast love, O God, in the midst of your temple. As your name, O God, so your praise reaches to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is filled with righteousness. Let Mount Zion be glad. Let the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments. Walk about Zion. Go about her. Number her towers. Consider well her ramparts. Go through her citadels that you may tell the next generation that this is God our God forever and ever. He will guide us forever. This is God's word for God's people. Now, what does Psalm 48 teach us today? What does it teach followers of the Lord or authentic disciples? Well, I think here at the center of this passage, the main point here is this, that authentic disciples center their life in the Lord. Write that down. This is the main point, the central truth of, of our psalm this morning, that authentic disciples center their life in the Lord. And the sons of Korah, the psalmists here, are teaching us this so that everywhere we look, the exhortations in these verses here, that everywhere we look, we see God's word and we see God's work. That everywhere we look, we see his law and we see his love. And so what does the psalmist do? He places us right in the center of Jerusalem, and exhorts us to open our eyes to see the goodness and greatness of God. He takes us right back to the center, and in the commands here that we've just read here, he takes us back to the center and says, look, look and behold what God is doing. And why does he do this for us? He takes us to the center because he knows, like, faith isn't just another thing in life. Faith is our life. You know, a, a church activity Worshiping God, being authentic disciple isn't just like a, a, an identity or an activity on a list of things that we add in our life to like mother or athlete or student or whatever it might be. No, our identity in Christ, our activity in the body of Christ is the priority. Is the central activity. It is the main identity and everything else revolves around it. And so he, he, he parachutes us right into the midst of Jerusalem to teach us this, that our life is centered in the Lord. And so how do we do that? Like we know, like that's what we want, right? Like we get that this morning, right? You believe that? Like our, our, our faith is central to who we are. Following Christ, being an authentic disciple, isn't, isn't just some like auxiliary thing on the fringes of our life, but it is the main thing. Do you get that, church? Get that? So how do we do that? How do we do that? Well, the text teaches us here. Is our first point: we must first draw near to God. Draw near to God. Look at verse one with me here. That that like opening line is just like poetically rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And you can say that with like some oomph, right? Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and that should like, like get us excited, right? This has been the anthem that we've been singing all morning. God is great, and He deserves our greatest of praise. We sing it often, and we, we, uh, we believe it, generally speaking here. But in, while it's generally true, he, the psalmist here brings us actually to a location, a place where, where His greatness is most on display. Do you see it here? In the city of our God, His holy mountain, which is beautiful in elevation, See Jerusalem, the city here, is the highest point in the Judean Hills, right there, smack in the center of Israel. If you've been there, you notice uh, that the, the topography all just kind of leads up to this great city here, this place that is, as the as verse two says, is the or the uh, verse two there is the joy of all the earth. That may sound strange to you this morning, like why, why, really, like this city is the joy of all the earth? Why, why can you say that? Well, look how verse 3 and It's because it's the place that God has made himself known. It's where He is present. It is where God Himself is dwelling. Remember back uh, to our series in Exodus. Many of you were here through that. Some of you, maybe you're just joining us, but we preached all the way through those 40 chapters in Exodus uh, this past year. And what was so glorious is that God made Himself known, and then He makes Himself known in a specific location. He's bringing them into the Promised Land. And so during those days, as the people of Israel were uh, were delivered from their Egyptian slavery, God gave them the Instructions for that tabernacle, right? A really ornate tent uh, that uh, that they would assemble in place, and there with the ark of the covenant, this is where God would dwell. What a joy to the people of God. Well, as uh, as time would go on, between that point and uh, the point now, uh, God would bring them into the uh, into the land of Israel. He would establish them there. He would set up a, a kingdom under Saul and then David and Solomon. And there to Solomon, he gave the instructions for a permanent structure, a temple there in Jerusalem where God would dwell. No longer would God's local dwelling place be in a tent, but now in a permanent structure. And after Solomon, then his sons go, hey, why now there's a divided kingdom that we find ourselves in, the northern kingdom, and the ten tribes that make up uh, the kingdom of Israel, and the southern kingdom, that made the two tribes of uh, Judah and Benjamin that make up the, the, the kingdom of Judah. And so the, or Sol, or the, the sons of Korah here are writing for that southern kingdom for Judah. And he's telling them here, no, it is here that God is present And it is where God is that joy exists, right? It's where God is that peace exists, where we are safe as if we are in a fortress. We are protected under the rule of the, look what it says, the great king. The city of God, not just the King Jehoshaphat, who's the king at this time, but the great king who rules the earth, who sits enthroned amongst the cherubim on the Ark of the Covenant. And now, church, It's the King of Kings, the Lord Jesus himself, who sits at the right hand of the Father. As we church, as we want to be a people of God, authentic disciples, centering our lives in Christ, we must draw near to the King. Now, praise God, we don't have to like jump on an airplane and go over to Israel to meet with him there, right? now dwelling amongst us, we can flee our sin, we can flee our independence, submit to the king, and get near to Christ. And we're told then as we draw near to Christ, he draws near to us. Isn't that glorious? Isn't that glorious? See, this is is the, the joy and the hope of the gospel that we don't have to live life on our own. We don't have to try to figure out how to do all this uh, uh, on our own. We don't have to live a selfish, independent life that we can come near to God, that in Christ Jesus, who died the death that we were supposed to die and lived a life that we could not live, brought us to the Father, won us the life that we could not win or earn on our own. And so what do we do? We repent of our sin and trust Christ and draw near to God. God, you can do that today. Today you are apart from God. If you are living life on your own, today can be the day of your salvation where you first and finally and forever draw near to the Lord. Others of us are, are, are maybe just cold. Others of us are anxious about things. We, we know we've, we've been saved. We believe this. But in this, in, in this season here, uh, we, 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 we're, we're, we're overcome with the weight of transitions. We feel like we're in the midst of a battle. We feel like everything around us is going haywire. The call this morning is the still the same, to flee, flee your independence, flee whatever it is that's keeping you from the Lord, and draw near to God. You can just do it simply by, by praying coming near, like we have this access into, uh, into the throne. We have our fathers ear, And we know, we love this verse. It gets quoted to us often from Philippians 4. It's here on the screen, Philippians 4, the end of verse 5, 6, and 7. You know this? You're familiar with this, this passage of Scripture? Probably, some of you probably have this uh, uh, memorized, but let me just draw you to the weightiness, to the awesomeness of this promise. It says, the Lord is at hand, or he, he, he is near to us. Now, there's some debate about, okay, is this like his return and coming? Now, I think there's just a, 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 a proximity here that God is near to us. He's at hand, like he's in reach, right? Like the person you're sitting next to is at, at hand. They are nearby. God is at hand, and where God is, we don't need to be anxious. Children that are still here among us, you feel safe because you are close to your dad. Have to, you're not worried about anybody coming at you or attacking you because you're safe. And see, the Lord is at hand as we draw near. We don't have to be anxious, we can, uh, but we can talk to him in everything. Prayer, supplication, thankfulness. Just as if he's sitting right here and we're just talking to our dad. Guess what happens as we do? As we do, then the peace of God, which blows our mind, right? That's the Blair translation here. Surpasses All understanding which blows our mind, the peace of God guards our heart and our minds in Christ Jesus. In the same way that Psalm 48 is referring to like where God has made himself known as a fortress. As we are praying, then Jesus guards. He like builds a big old wall to protect us in our heart and our mind from the anxiety and the fear and the worry and the things that entrap us. Wow. Wow. Church, this morning, draw near to God. As an authentic disciple, centering your life in the Lord, draw near to Him. And here's the second thing then, and find your refuge in Him. Find your refuge in Him. If you're taking notes here, uh, write that down. Find your refuge in God. And see, when we do, come back to Psalm 48 here, verses 4 to 8. When we do, when we are near God, then here's the things: Our enemies, our temptations, sin... The things that the obstacles and the things that hold us back, or maybe even push us away from uh, the center, they are the things that go fleeing. And so, the context of, of Psalm 48 here is very interesting because guess what? The Israelites were once again being attacked by the surrounding nations. They were once again being, uh, being uh, assembled against and their enemies were coming to him. And so here, here's the thing you just have to know. For the people of God, for the Israelites, ever since Genesis 12, when God called Abraham and his family apart and said, you're going to be my people, I'm going to bless you, and those who bless you, I'll bless, and those who curse you, I'll curse. From the very get-go up until today, nations have been trying to annihilate Israel. But the very fact that they are still in existence that they are still on the face of the map, and they are not like many of the nations and the people groups that we read about in history books are here, but the fact that they are still around is proof that God is faithful to his promises. It's, it's, it's just proof here. And so, uh, guess what? In this psalm, in the context here, Israel's enemies are being attacked. And so, the context for Psalm 48 is actually Second Chronicles 20, I believe. Second Chronicles 20, you can write that down, but I actually want you to turn there because I want you to see something. I'm just going to give you kind of the flyover of the context because it makes this song just uh, come alive for us. Second Chronicles uh, 20 is way in your Old Testament. It's, it's probably 100, 150 pages back in your, your Bible there. It's the last of the history books uh, before you get to um, like Nehemiah and and, and all those small books. Second Chronicles 20. I'm just going to give you a, a snapshot. There's a guy named Jehoshaphat. It's a cool name, right? Jehoshaphat is the king of Judah in Jerusalem. In chapter 18, he makes a really knuckleheaded decision to align with a wicked king of Israel, King Ahab. If You've learned your Bible, King Ahab, he's like the worst of the worst amongst the kings of Israel. Do you know something just like in biblical history here? I told you those two uh, kingdoms. Basically, all the kings of Israel are bad. You read through the the uh, you know like Samuel 1 and First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, all the kings of Israel it says they're evil. They do what's right in their own eyes and evil in the sight of the Lord. Like, noted, bad legacy. But the kings of Judah, it's 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 almost like fitty fitty, right? Some of them are bad and evil kings doing evil in the sight of the Lord, and others like King Jehoshaphat actually do what is right and pleasing in the eyes of. The Lord. And so he does make a knuckleheaded decision in chapter 18, 2 Chronicles 19. He makes some reforms to the way that the nation is governed. And then in chapter 20 here, guess what happens? They're being attacked on all sides. Just as Psalm 48 verse 4 said, the nations or the kings assembled against him. And so look at 2 Chronicles 20 verse 1. After this, the Moabites, the Ammonites, and with them some of the Meunites came against Jehoshaphat for battle. And some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom and beyond the sea. And he explains all these things. And so, yet again, in Israel's history, in Israel's time, they're being attacked. People are trying to wipe them off the face of the earth. And so what does Jehoshaphat do first? What is his response to this news that a a great horde is coming against him? Look at verse 3. Jehoshaphat was afraid. I bet so. And he set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. What did he do first, church? Praise. He seeks the Lord. Battles waging around him, sure, he's afraid, he's feeling the anxiety, he has a people to protect, he probably for sure knows like the, the strength of his army and all their resources, he knows all the details. And he knows that apart from the Lord, they are toast. So he seeks the Lord. He, he begins to pray. He seeks the Lord. And, and, and then all through the, the, the next several verses are his prayer. You should uh, go and read more through this later today if you'd like. But look how it ends at the end of verse 12. He concludes his prayer with saying, We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. you ever been there, church? What happens when we live by faith? It happens like we, you know, this, is, this, is just the, this is an expression to the Lord of our dependence. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Complete dependence, finding His refuge in God. So they're praying, and then what happens next? We'll look at verse 15, a prophet Jehaziel comes, and he says, "Listen, all Judah, inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you." Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Hallelujah. Tomorrow, go down against them. Behold, you will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeruel. You you will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them, and the Lord will be with you. This is the encouragement. This is the prophecy. And again, what does uh, uh, Jehoshaphat do? How does he and the people respond in verse 18? What does it say? And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. The battle is imminent. The enemy is mighty. And here they are, bowing before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And look at verse 19. And the Levites of the Kohathites and the Korites... Remember the sons of Korah that wrote many psalms? And so under the Levites, they're the priests of the Lord. And under David, he, he divides the, the, the people out. And, uh, and, and the sons of Korah and others, they have different responsibilities. Here the Korahs. They stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. They were go before the army, verse 21 says. And guess who wins? Uh, jump over to verse 22. Guess who wins the battle? And when they began to sing and praise... Interesting. Not fight, not sink, swing their weapons. Not. When they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seirah had come against Judah so that they were routed. Who wins, church? The Lord wins. The Lord wins. He sends them. He, he routes the enemy. And so here's the thing. The people are singing. And so guess what? The, the lyrics of the song that they are singing were written as a result of this battle. Guess what came out of that? Of this passage here Psalm 48 what we are reading here where we are at and so come back to Psalm 48 and it gives some context especially to this second point here to find our refuge in God for behold the kings assembled they came on together and as soon as they see it what they were routed they were astounded and they flee in panic and so what was the message that the Israelites needed for the battle What steadied them when it seemed like their boat was about to tip? The exhortation to find their refuge in God. Find their their refuge in God. Here, look and see what God has done. Just look around. Look around. What is happening to the enemies? They're astounded. They're panicking. They're taking flight. They're trembling. They have anguish as if a woman in labor. Now, that's pretty vivid, right, ladies? Like, this is the enemies. They are fleeing. Their ships have been shattered. Verse 8 says, We've heard this. We've seen this in the city of the Lord of hosts. We have heard and seen. So look here, church. Listen, listen, listen for a second. I want just to get this here. See, when we are near God... When we've drawn near to him, when we have found our refuge in him, then it is his perspective that we are seeing from. When we are near to him, his voice is loudest. His word, his people have the loudest voice. They are helping us to see the events of the world. Then we see something so amazing around us. Even as the battle is round, even as as attacks are real, we begin to see something even more amazing in the midst of the battle, in the midst of pain happening. We begin to see from our, uh, in, in where we are today that disciples are being made. Churches are being planted around the globe. Marriages are being restored. People are choosing to follow Christ. People are making decisions to follow in obedience. The persecuted are persevering and the gospel is prevailing. It is happening around us. But let, me, but let me tell you this. If, 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 if the Lord and His people don't have the loudest voice in our life, if His word is not what is guiding us, if Fox News or CNN or our Facebook feed or whatever media we consume, if this has the loudest voice, you will be as these kings. <laughs> you will be as those who are astounded uh, in the world. You will be of those who are panicking or taking flight, trembling, anguish in your soul as of a woman having uh, labor, and all your things will be shattered around you. But for those who are finding their refuge in God, that is the pathway of our enemies. For us, it is a pathway and a life of joy and peace and protection and hope and believing. You see, our, our media sources, all the other things we center our life in, that we consume, consume, they, all they are doing is telling the hopeless, tragic tale of a life apart from Christ. This, 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 that, that's, that's ultimately what they're, they're parroting. You might be like, but, 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 but we need to know what's going on in the world. Absolutely we do. Sure, you, but we already know where the world is headed. Just Another story, another, another tragedy, another, no, another hopeless event apart from Christ. And so we're not to be ignorant. I'm not saying we're to be uninvolved. But we really need to stop thinking so deeply on, the, on our enemies and the battles and the things that are happening around us and center our life in the Lord and find our refuge in him. And As we are there, and here's the, here's the third point, that we must think deeply about God. I must think deeply about God. So, so what's the context here? What's happening? A battle is being waged around them. The enemies are assembling around them. They're in the midst of the war. Life is, their life is on the line. And what do they do in verse 9? We have thought on your steadfast love, O God, in the midst of temple. Not thinking about their problems, they're not thinking about the pain, they're not, even these, they're not even thinking about their strategy for victory, but they're thinking about how much God loves them. This, this leads them then to, to, to worship, right? Look at the verse nine, as your name will God, so your praise reaches to the ends of the earth. This isn't just our praise, but this is a global praise as God will uh, your name will become famous throughout the earth praises him for his power and his ability. He says, your, "Your right hand is filled with righteousness. Like everything that God does is full of righteousness. His activity is, is, is righteousness consumes his hand and all of his activities, all of his deeds on the earth. He has no room for anything else. No wickedness, no unrighteousness. Do something evil or wicked, or just everything righteous. This leads them to worship God. Let Mount Zion be God. Let the daughters of Judah, the most vulnerable among them, I don't need to fear the young ladies, the daughters in Judah uh, who, who couldn't fight, who, who were, if, if, if this went bad, if these nations had their way and attacked all the men, everything, then it is the women who are the most vulnerable and the most susceptible to ravaging and all the horrors and spoils of war. No, let them rejoice because of who God is, what God will do because of his judgments on the nations as they begin to think deeply about the steadfast love of God it causes them to worship and to work for the Lord and See, this is this is no really different for us too like aren't these the commands as you think of like think of Colossians 3 it's on the screen here Maybe you know this, this, uh, uh, these verses, this passage here. It says, If then you have been raised with Christ, have you been made a, a new creation? Have you been made alive in Christ Jesus this morning? you raised with Christ. And then he says, Then seek the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth Then, hey, don't set your mind there. Don't dwell on the activities and the things, the trials and pain and the battles of this earth, but rather set your mind on things above. The higher purpose of what God is doing, how he is providentially working in our life and through the battles and trials of our life. Set our mind there. Why? Because we've died to all the things here. And our life is now hidden with Christ and God. He is the fortress. He guards our heart and mind. Our life is hidden hidden with him from the gaze and the attacks of the enemy so we think deeply on God and so the colossians 3 actually goes on just jump ahead to verse 16 what does it say let the word of christ dwell in you richly words of God our bible let them dwell in us richly not skimmed over not uh, consumed like we might consume a single m&m dwell in us richly and then out of that as we are saturated with the words of God then let us teach and admonish one another let us, let us be involved in one another's life. As we center our life in the Lord, then and we are part of a family centering our life in the Lord, then we get this great joy of teaching one another, hey, this is how we follow the Lord, and admonishing one another to say, hey, don't do that. That's not how we follow and honor the Lord. Let us do so in all wisdom. And that leads to singing, to worship, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in our hearts to God. And out of that, as we are saturated with the word of God, speaking the word of God into one another, worshiping uh, the God of the word together, then it leads us vertical to do everything. Our work for the Lord, everything, whatever we do in our word or our deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God, Father, through Him. This is what it means, church, to think deeply on the Lord, to meditate, to savor to, to take it in and to talk about God's Word with one another. And, and this, this leads us to, to worshiping and working for God. But, but let's just do some accounting of our thoughts for a moment. Ready to do that? Ready to take stock of, of the hours of our day and the thoughts of our life and how we use it? So if you work, you probably spend, let's just on average, eight hours a day working. If you're a student, you know, eight hours or so. If you're retired, you have eight hours of Home management and all the things you do as a, as a retired person. Okay, or if you fit it somewhere in there, you got eight hours about that. Eight hours of sleep, right? That's 16 hours in our day. Okay, that uh, most of us take up. You're like, I don't get eight hours of sleep. I, I have a crying baby at home. I maybe get four. Well, for the sake of this, eight. So what do we do with the other eight hours? Are we spending time thinking deeply about the Lord? and we have an hour or two to eat, and do other necessity things. But here's something that is so tragic, as I think about how we spend our time. According to uh, Statista.com, which is a, like a survey uh, website, they did a survey back in February of 2021. And get this, nearly half of the respondents, 50%, stated that they, on average they spend five to six hours on their smartphone in a day. Not related, not including work-related things. Now, some of us have to be on our phone for work. This is just half of the people of uh, of who they surveyed spend that just scrolling through social media, scrolling through sports stuff, scrolling through whatever it might be. Further, 22% said they spend three to four hours, on average, their phone daily. And just 5% said that they spend less than one hour. So I don't don't know where you fit in that. That was pretty convicting. we just read a book in our family, much to my kids' uh, dismay, called The Tech Wise Family. I would highly recommend it. Way to be wise with how we uh, consume media and screens and all that. So many things that dominate our time. How much are we devoting daily, weekly, monthly to just thinking deeply about the things of God? Imagine how different our life would be in the face of our struggles, in the face of things that are happening, in the face of the challenges of our workday and all that, if we just spent some time thinking deeply about just one attribute of God, His steadfast love. Just imagine how we would grow in this. Imagine how we would grow as a church. As we, as we, you know, see, here's just something that we as a church really, we really value. We want to go deeper into the Word of God, not always just wider. Now, there's something that's like spiritual uh, in our thinking, too, as we're like, oh, I need another Bible study. I need another reading plan. I need another thing. I need, I need another group to be a part of. And, and unfortunately, that doesn't always lead to maturity. Some people have the margin for more and more and more things. But what we want to do is sink our roots deep into the thoughts of God. This is why we do small group the way that we do it, why we have a pulpit curriculum that's led from the scripture that we're studying on Sundays, so we can go deeper in our understanding and more specific in the application to your life. I can only make so many applications up here with a room even this size. There's just a variety of things happening in your life. And so I want to give us an understanding and a grasp of the word of God, but man, there is no bottom our understanding of the Word of God. And so in our small groups, in your study during the week, let us go deeper and deeper in our understanding of these things and then more specific. How does this apply to you as a student, as a mom, as an employee, as an employer, as a grandparent? We want our roots to go deep as we think deep about God and then watch our faith bloom healthy and vibrant in the community of faith around us. And as we do it, as we begin looking around, as, we, as we're dwelling on the things of God, then we begin to see Him at work everywhere. We begin to see His benevolent love at work through us all over the place, which is really the final exhortation in our passage, to consider the works of God. Consider the, the works of God here. Look, this may seem strange to you in verses 12, 13, and 14, when, when the psalmist he's like, saying, hey, take a look around at the buildings." Like, are you like a, a commercial appraiser or something? You yeah, know, like, we just go around and number and take measurements and note the condition of things. No, he's not. He's not telling him, hey, go look and see what we built so you can build up like pride of like, wow, look at the city, look at the fortress, look at the citadel here. Lord, forgive us for being enamored with buildings, right? being so uh, in awe of the things that we have built. No, he exhorts them in this way so they would see and say, look what God has done. So that they would tell their kids, their grandkids, visitors, all who would come, the next generation, that this is the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. Church, let us not be impressed by facilities and numbers of chairs and programs and all the offerings that, uh, that, that uh, may be in a church and as a growing church, but let us always be enamored by the work of God in our life. As we see chairs, as we see buildings, as we see around this, it's not, wow, what, look at what we've done. Look what we've built, but let it turn our gaze upward in worship and outward in witness to say, no, God is at work here. Whatever physical buildings here, these this is all God's doing. He's guiding us, and here's what the, the reality. He will guide us forever because he's not done yet. He's not done yet. Imagine what he will do. Our best days are yet ahead. Redemption, look around your life. Just take stock of the things that are in your life. The, consider the things you have and thank God for them. Thank God for the home that you have, the vehicle you drive, the, just those the physical assets as you look around. Say, this is what God has done. Consider the things that you love about redemption, your church, family, and worship God for them. Worship God. Tell God thank you for it. Consider the ways God has answered prayers in your life and be amazed by it. Be amazed by what he's doing at his power, his providence, his provision in your life. Take stock of your life. Consider God's faithfulness to you to bring you to this place today and tell your kids, tell your grandkids about it, that this is God. It is his doing. It is what he has done in our life. Let us be quick to see what is around us and what God is doing and then give him the praise for it. See when God is, when the Lord is at the center of our life, and we aren't. This is this this is like indicative of like, am I at the center here? Because when I look around this, and I pat myself on the back, like, oh, heaven forbid that we ever get to that place. But when Christ is at the center, even as we look around and we consider His works, it leads us. As authentic disciples, we do all these things. We draw near to God. We find our refuge in Him. We think deeply about Him. And we consider His work, His activity around us as our life is centered in Him. And therefore, others know about it. There's like no surprise from the people in our life that we love Christ. See, this is who we are. This is what God is doing in us. This is whom we are devoted to, to Christ. Christ our Lord. So, church, I asked at the beginning, you want to be a part of a healthy, growing, vibrant body of believers, then let us be personally, individually, people who are growing, vibrant, and healthy in our walk with the Lord, drawing near to Him, considering what He is doing, devoting ourselves to His Word, to His work we'll see God do things that we can't even imagine. His work will continue through us, and we will continue to shine his light in our city. Joy will be ours, and peace will be ours, and most of all, Christ will be ours forever, and that's what we want. Is it not, church? I pray that it is. Would you join me as we pray?